the reading is from Joshua chapter 8 and it's verses 1 to 35. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack A. For I have delivered into your hands the king of A, his people, his city and his land. You shall do to A and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack A. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on the alert. I and all those with me will advance on the city. And when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have led them away from the city. For they will say, they are running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from anguish, from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it. You have my orders. Then Joshua sent them off, and they went to a place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night with the people. Early the next morning, Joshua mustered up his army, and he and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. The entire force that was with him marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up camp north of Ai, with the valley between them and the city. Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So the soldiers took up their positions, with the main camp to the north of the city and the ambush to the west of it. That night, Joshua went into the valley. When the king of Ai saw this, he and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle at a certain place overlooking the Arabah. But he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel let themselves be driven back before them, and they fled towards the wilderness. All the men of Ai were called to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were led away from the city. Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and went in pursuit of Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out towards A the javelin that is in your hand, for in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out towards the city the javelin that was in his hand. As soon as he did this, the men in ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it quickly and set it on fire. The men of A looked back and saw the smoke of the city rising up into the sky, but they had no chance to escape in any direction. The Israelites who had been fleeing towards the wilderness had turned back against their pursuers. For when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke was going up from it, they turned around and attacked the men of A. Those in the ambush also came out of the city against them, so they were caught in the middle with the Israelites on both sides. Israel cut them down, leaving neither survivors nor fugitives. But they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the field and in the wilderness where they chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. 
12,000 men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and the plunder of the city, as the Lord had instructed Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He impaled the body of the king of Ai on a pole and left it there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take the body from the pole and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate. And they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses an altar of uncut stones, on which no iron tool has been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed worship offerings. There, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the Law of Moses. All the Israelites, with their elders, officials and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Half of the people stood in front of the Mount of Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal. As Moses, and the, as Moses the servant of the Lord had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterwards, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. Great. Well, step away from that a little bit. Uh, Thanks again for having me. Do chat uh, to me and to Jen and be friendly to our kids afterwards. We'd love to talk to you more about Beechwood uh, and our involvement with Christchurch over the years. Uh, But uh, as we look at this chapter... Where are we in this true story of God's people? Uh, Maybe you know uh, about Jericho. Maybe you know a little bit about Joshua. But where are we here in chapter 8? Well, Israel, the Israelites, they have just been beaten up by the people of Ai. You see, they'd conquered Jericho in in spectacular fashion, where the, the walls came crumbling down because of God's miraculous intervention. And Ai is the next city on their agenda. And so while they've been standing outside Jericho, they send a small group to spy out that city. And the guys come back and say, this is going to be so easy. There's there's hardly anybody there. We don't even need to send all of our army. We can just wander up with with a, a small group of people and we will trash them. And so about 3,000 soldiers head over to to attack the city. But it all goes wrong. You see, they think it's going to be easy, but they're the ones who get trashed. They end up getting running for their lives with their tail between their legs. A bunch of them end up dead. It was a disaster. And so here in chapter 8, we have round 2. And I guess the question for those Israelites is, will version 2 be any better than version 1? Well, they learn from their mistakes. Okay, we only needed 3,000 the first time. Okay, that was a mistake. Let's take 30,000 this time. Ten times as many. We're not going to be outnumbered today. And actually, as we saw in that reading, the tactics are genius, aren't they? 
So what they do is they, they, they sneak a force around to, to the back of the, the city, hidden away by, by the topography, 5,000 of them hidden away that the people in the city don't know about. Now, and the rest of them come and camp, but with a ravine between them, so that even if the soldiers of the city of A come rushing out to them, they've got that safety and that protection of distance so they can react before the army attacks. But actually the real genius of their plan is that they use their failure to their own advantage, don't they? You see, they know that these soldiers from A are going to be coming out brimming with confidence that they're going to come out and say, look, these guys have come back for more. We smashed them the last time. We are going to finish them off completely. And exactly that's what it looks like happens, isn't it? The king of A sees them and they run out and they say, let's bring every single soldier out with us to totally trash these Israelites. And so they go chasing after them. And at first it looks like it's a redo of the last time, doesn't it? Joshua and all of the Israelites turn tail and start running away. And the king and all of his soldiers of A come chasing and chasing after them until they're all out of the city. They're so confident they don't even have to shut the gates behind them. But that is when the plan comes into action, doesn't it? Joshua turns, raises his weapon, and those hidden soldiers come running round from behind the city into the open gates and set the whole place on fire. And then the soldiers of A and the king, well, when they turn and see the smoke and the flames, they realise they've been tricked. They realise all is lost. They realise that their fortified city has been taken and then Joshua and those Israelites who had been running, well, they turn round too, don't they? They turn to fight them. Those 5,000 that had been hidden away come chasing them. So the soldiers of A are struck, stuck between a rock and a hard place. Total victory for the Israelites. Total devastation for the king of A and his soldiers. And actually, as a sign, as a warning to anybody else that would stand against the Israelites, what happens to the king? He is hung up on a pole, on a tree, until nightfall, and then buried under a pile of rocks. As a sign, don't mess with us. It is a stunning turnaround, isn't it? From, from a terrible failure to a wonderful victory. A demonstration of their power, of their might, of their genius, tactics only that's not quite how the story goes is it you see that misses one vital part of what is going on and that is this it is it, remember that it is the lord who gives the victory all of this was because of the lord and yet isn't it so easy to forget that he is behind every success every victory every good thing that we have you see, the failure for the Israelites previously, it wasn't because they'd underestimated their opponents. It was because a guy called Achan had sinned, had disobeyed the Lord. You can read about that in chapter 7 if you want to. And God was teaching them through that and through this that what really matters, the most important thing, is trusting the Lord and obeying his commands. You see, here in chapter 8, with their second attempt today, their victory isn't because they sent ten times as many soldiers. It isn't because their tactics had improved. It was because they did what the Lord commands. The passage makes that really clear, doesn't it? Look at chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 again. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack A. 
For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. See, it is the Lord that gives them the victory. In fact, he's the one that tells them to set the ambush. It's not Joshua's genius tactics, it's the Lord's genius tactics. If you know the story of Jericho and of Achan's sin, you'll know that that part of his problem is he didn't trust the Lord. The Lord had said, don't take any of this for yourself, and he'd taken it all. If only he had waited just a few more days, he would have had everything that he needed. But they are being taught to trust in the Lord. Look at verse 7 and 8 as well. You are to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you've taken the city, set it on fire, do what the Lord has commanded. See to it. You have my orders. Do this, Israelites, because God is in charge. Because he is the one that we are to listen to, to trust, to obey, to follow. And in fact, it's even right in the middle of the battle that, that it is the Lord who comes and tells Joshua what to do, isn't it? Look at head of verse 18 wherever it is on the bottom of that page, then the Lord said to Joshua, hold out towards A the javelin that's in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out towards the city the javelin that was in his hand. See, all the way through, we need to know this is the Lord's victory. It is because of the Lord. Nothing about them, all about him. Look at verse 26 as well. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out the javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in A, but Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and plunder of this city as the Lord had instructed Joshua. It is the Lord who gives the victory, not just then for them, but also now for us. Right, let's pause for a moment though, because this is not the most pleasant passage, is it? Are we really saying that the God of the Bible, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, commands everybody in this city, men and women, but also maybe children, should be killed? It's not nice to think, is it? And yet I think we have to say yes. The Bible says here that is what's going on. To our Western 21st century ears, that sounds horrible. But we also need to know, don't we, the Bible says... Again and again and again, God is just. God never acts wrongly. No one is judged unfairly. And that is the case here. These people only face God's judgment because they have continued to oppose God and his people. In fact, look ahead to verse 33 a second. Did you notice the word foreigners? All the Israelites, with their elders, officials and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. It's the same in verse 35. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. People who are not Israelites are joined in worshipping the Lord God. That includes people like Rahab, who maybe you know about from the story of Jericho. She was from Jericho. She was an enemy of God's people, and yet she put her trust in the Lord and was saved and becomes one of God's people. Her and her family were undoubtedly some of these foreigners. 
It is not hard to suppose that there may even have been people from the city of Ai who had put their trust in the Lord and received his rescue and were also some of those foreigners who had joined in worshipping him. No, the only people that God judges are those who continue to oppose him. There is rescue for everyone who turns to the Lord. That is the same today as it was back then. We need to know that, don't we? There is rescue for everyone who turns to the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what you have done in the past, no matter what your background, whatever failures or wrongs you have done, there is complete rescue if you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. But there will be judgment if you continue to oppose him. God is just. There are no innocent victims in this. We need to realise that. We need to remember that although it is the Lord alone who gives the victory. You see, you see, this book of Joshua was first written down for the people of Israel so that they would remember this. For these ancient Israelites to be able to remember what had happened and not come up with false memories. Isn't it so easy to begin to think it was all down to us? Can't you imagine the Israelites beginning to think, oh, we were so good. We smashed them. They had no chance. We outnumbered them. We outmaneuvered them. We tricked them so well. We were brilliant. No, no, no. Look back at chapter 8. It was the Lord who did this. Remember, it is the Lord's victory. That's what this is for. And that is the same for us. Of course, our battle's not quite the same. We're not called to go and conquer cities in the Middle East. No, listen for a moment to what the New Testament says our battle is. In the book of Ephesians, just before those famous verses about the armour of God, here is what Paul reminds us. Our struggle, Christian, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, if you are a Christian, you are in a battle against sin, self, and Satan. It's a battle for our very souls. There is a great battle going on between the Lord and his armies on one side and the devil and his on the other, over you and me. But it is the Lord who gives the victory. You see, if we're Christians, we already know that, don't we? But we are so forgetful that we need reminding. And just like here in Joshua, we need to know that that battle, the outcome, isn't uncertain. It's not some kind of equal opposites and no one quite knows who's going to win. No, the outcome is secure. Jesus has already won that victory. Look back at what the Lord says to Joshua in chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack. I, for I have delivered into your hands the king of Israel, of the king of A, his people, his city, and his land. God can speak of it. As if it's already done, it is that certain. The same is even more true today through the Lord Jesus Christ. That great cosmic battle has already been won through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. You see, when Jesus hangs on the cross, though, it looks like failure. In some ways, it looks like the enemies have won. It looks like Satan and his minions can just run out and rampage and defeat everybody. Just like the king of A chasing out to defeat Joshua and the Israelites. 
And yet the truth of the resurrection shows that it is through that seeming failure that God's victory is secured, isn't it? That death is defeated by the eternal Son of God. That sin is paid for by Jesus. What looks like failure turns out to be victory because the Lord gives that victory. And so you and I can have that rescue. It doesn't matter what my past has been like. It doesn't matter what my background has been like, my failings, my struggles, my age, my status. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, the Bible tells us. Everyone who calls on Jesus Christ, it is the Lord who gives the victory. Don't we need to be reminded of that? If you've been a Christian for a long time or a short time, hopefully you have already realised that, that you get stuff wrong quite a lot. We need to be reminded again and again and again in all of life. I cannot do things by my own strength. I need to daily depend on the Lord. He is the one who gives the victory. And I need to look back at my own salvation and my growth as a Christian and be reminded this has been the Lord's work in my life day after day after day. I am thankful to Christchurch for, for my growth as a Christian, but actually that is not because of Morris and the other leaders here or any of the other church members. It is because the Lord in his grace used this church to grow me. And I pray that the Lord in his grace will be using this church to grow you too. It is the Lord who works. It is the Lord who does all of this. And yet maybe it's just me, but I can be so self-centred and sinful in this. And begin to think, I didn't really need God. I'd, ne I'd never say that out loud. I mean, I'm a church minister, but, but actually, really, that's what I think about. I'm pretty good. I'm kind. I'm generous. I'm hospitable. I'm capable. I'm pretty good at solving problems. I'm self-reliant. Is that you? Even if you are a Christian and you know at moments I need to depend on God, can't we all go through times when we forget about him and think we don't really need him? We need to be reminded to be Christ-reliant in all things. It is the Lord who gives the victory. And this chapter is here to remind us that. Don't ever get self-reliant. Depend on the Lord alone. It's him who gives the victory. And what does it lead to? Well, it should lead to worshipping him. Listening to everything that he commands. Look down at verse 30. Then, in response to this wonderful victory, Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool has been used. On it, they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. All the Israelites with their elders, officials and judges were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. See, the right response to God's victory is worship. When someone becomes a Christian, we should worship the Lord Jesus. 
When I resist temptation, I should worship. When we experience the joys of life, worship. When we pass exams, when we get a new job, when we fix a leaky tap, when we win a competition in all kinds and all levels of life, worship when we experience God's good gifts. And worship not just me on my own over there and you on your own over there, but together as God's people. Isn't that what's being pictured here? Young and old. Israelites and outsiders together worshipping the Lord who is worthy. Actually, this is a glimpse of how God's people are to be in the future as well. One day, every Christian will gather together and worship the Lord who is worthy together. Uh, Beechwood Chapel is not very ethnically diverse. The Wirral is known as the Insular Peninsula. Uh, there's not a lot of ethnic diversity, but we are a church of young and old, of all different classes and of abilities. So we show some kind of diversity, but it's wonderful to be here and see a church of all kinds of different ethnicities gathered together too. All of us, by nature, are outsiders of God's people, and yet by God's grace we are gathered in together with all of God's people around the world. And one day perfectly will experience that that's the promise of christianity that one day in heaven in the new creation we will together sing here's what revelation says worthy we will sing worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise the lord jesus is worthy because he wins the victory don't we know that we should worship him in response to that? Worship him. And, and not just kind of willy, like in a willy way, but actually their worship is centred on God's words, isn't it? That, that's the case all the way through this. They, they build this altar in accordance with the, what the Lord has said and they read all of God's words, don't they? Joshua has to write out a copy of the first five books of the Pentateuch. Maybe you should set that as homework for Morris. Um, and he reads it to them, to every single person, including the kids. Isn't that striking? Look at verse 34 and 35. Afterwards, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who live among them. Isn't that striking? They stood at uh, uh, the foot of these two mountains and listened uh, as basically all of that was read. It would have taken a long time. So I think let's do it. Let's get the kids back in and we'll do it. And you're not allowed to say that's a bad idea because it's in the Bible. No, I don't think that's quite the application from this passage although it is important isn't it for us to be reading God's word with our children if we're parents or with our the children in our church family if you're not parents but the important thing is not that we read all five chapters of the all five books of the Pentateuch with them in one sitting the important thing is that we read God's word and in fact we have the whole of the Bible as God's word so it would take us even longer to read that find ways that that will work for you it might be personal Bible reading or one-to-ones or, one or, or listening to David Suchet narrate it in the gym. But the emphasis is on reading the Bible 
knowing what God says, well, actually not just reading it, because not everyone can read, can they? But listening to the Bible and doing that together. You see, if you're a Christian, but you are not prioritising gathering with your own church family to sit under God's word being taught and effectively communicated, well, you need to take a long, hard look at yourself. That is the normal pattern of God's people, gathering together to sit under his word. Brilliant that lots of you are here on a Sunday. There's activities during the week. Sign up to the hub and the connect groups. Find other ways to be doing that together. We need to sit under God's word together as God's people. Leaders and learners alike. It is part of our worship. Did you notice that that's the case? See, sometimes we can begin to think that worship is the singing and then everything else is just something else. No, worship is all of it. They are worshipping by listening to God's words being taught. We should be worshipping right now as we listen to God's word, worshipping in all of life, but especially sitting under his word. You see, as we listen to everything that God commands... Well, we need to listen, what does it say? Both the blessing and the curse. Did you notice that in verse 34? Afterwards, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses. Because we need to remember both the encouragements and the warnings. We need the good and the bad, because actually that is true of the message of Christianity, isn't it? Christianity is good news. That's what gospel means. But it's only good news if we know the bad news. There is only joy in Christ's rescue if we know the warning of judgment for rejecting him. We need both. The blessing and the curse. Life forever with God. Or death forever separated from him. See, like the Israelites, we're forgetful, aren't we? And as we gather and we sit under his words together, not just once a week, but I think as much as we possibly can, that we are reminded of these important truths once again. And if forewarned is forearmed, is a good saying, isn't it? Be prepared for anybody that was a cub or a scout back in the day. Those are, are really helpful things because actually it is when things are going well, if we're reminded of God's kindness, of God's victory, actually that will help us stand when things go hard, when things go wrong. And in God's kindness, actually that can develop a real positive cycle. We remember that it is the Lord who gives the victory and so we respond by worshipping him. And so as we worship him and listen to everything that he commands, we're reminded that it is God who gives the victory. And so we worship some more. And so we remember some more. And so we worship and remember and worship and remember with the help of the Holy Spirit. Remember that it is the Lord who gives the victory. So worship him. He is worthy Worship him, listening to everything that he commands.